Hey everybody, welcome back to the newest episode of the Pixelist Podcast. I'm Will, that's Blake. We're here to talk about all the nerdy things we love. And today, that's the finale of Exandria Unlimited Calamity. Uh, I'm not ready, man. I'm still, I don't think I'm ready. I haven't really processed it still. I'm still processing it and I've watched it like four times. <laughs> <laughs> I've watched it so many times. Uh, I'm watching it again tonight because uh, my wife hasn't seen it yet. So Nice. Are you on the finale? I, I think you mentioned. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. She so liked we've it. Watched, she's loved it. Yeah. We've watched the first half of this fourth episode. Um, and then, you know, we have kids, so we can't like do a six and a half hour block. So we watched the first half. We have three hours left. Um, I've separately watched the episode, like I said, four or five times now. Um, and then she's also gone back and watched the first half with <laughs> some of the things we'll talk about in our recap today. Ooh, baby. Um, so she's rewatched a lot of that first half too. So it's just, I mean, it, it bears multiple watchings. It's just so good i mean i'm yeah. starting i'll try not to start goozing on it at this point uh because we still yeah. got to jump into things but um, this is probably gonna be a long episode today i'm guessing there's a lot to talk about I there really like. is yeah and yeah which so, yeah. if you guys are watching and you've made it this far um hopefully you're here uh for the journey of all the amazingness that is exu calamity and uh would love for you guys to jump into the comments also and tell us what you thought of the series overall, especially this episode. Some of your theories from there. There's been some really cool discussions on implications of this um, episode. And if you just randomly stumbled across this ep- this current episode and you're thinking like, what's EXU Calamity? You got to stop. Stop right here. <laughs> and you need to go to the Critical Role YouTube channel and watch it from episode one because we'll talk about this in our recap today. But um, it was truly special to watch this four part series, um, which I'll say more about that once we're done with the recap, but yeah, but yeah, agreed. Quick, um, quick announcement. Yeah. Also, unless you had something else you were going to say, no, go ahead. Uh, SGDQ next week, bro. So, so excited, guys, man. If you're not familiar with SGDQ, it is, and I think this one is doctors without borders. Is that right? I, I actually always forget which is which it's either that or it's the prevent blind. cancer foundation. Right, right. I think this one's Doctors Without Borders. But okay. so basically, if you guys aren't familiar with the GDQ event series, so basically it stands for Games Done Quick. And twice a year, they do it once in the winter, once in the summer. Um, they do a week-long speed run of retro and even current games. And so if you're not familiar with speed running, just envision that game that you spent like 30, 40 hours on and it like ra- like enraptured you. You're going to watch someone beat it in like eight minutes, <laughs> <laughs> which once you finally watch it happen, you're just like, this is insane. Um, so it's a charity event they run. It's a week long, 24 hours a day. Yeah, and nonstop. All pro- yeah, all proceeds go to this event goes to Doctors Without Borders, and it's they raise about three million dollars um, when they run this event. So it's pretty freaking gnarly and awesome, and definitely it's something Will and I have enjoyed for many years now. Um, so check that out. I know Will, you don't typically like to look at the schedule. Um, I haven't yet. Have you already taken a peek? I haven't. I'm going to as soon as we're done today. So <laughs> maybe in the comments with a spoiler tag, you can let us know what game you're most excited for. Uh, that's available. The schedule is at gamesdonequick.com. Uh, so I'm sure we'll do a video of some kind about that. Yeah. And if you're interested in more, we actually did 
so the so what was uh this sunday is the start of summer games done quick so for the last awesome games done quick which was this winter blake and i actually did a quick little video kind of explaining what it was so feel free to check that out on the channel um but what i'm super excited about um for this one in particular is it's back to being in person so for the last like four or five maybe even six of these marathons they've all been remote because of covid and this is the first one back to like the 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 status quo so i'm really excited to like even i'm not going or anything but just to like have everyone back to normal so extra right. hype for this for this one coming up sunday yeah and uh i think that's all the announcements right yeah i i think so as well yeah. um so if you aren't familiar with our channel what we like to do is a brief recap of what happened in the episode especially if an episode's several hours long which this one was just over six hours yeah we do our best to do just a quick recap in case you had to watch it over multiple sittings in case you missed a detail we'll do a recap for about 15 or 20 minutes and then we will talk about our reactions to the episode so we also pull that recap out entirely so if you're watching just the recap itself click the link below you can go to our whole video discussion and again we want to hear what you thought of the episode so let us know in the comments your thoughts um i'm pretty sure i'm first half right yeah Okay, just what if sure. I was like, I'm first <laughs> Yeah, tickets are the sandwiches. <laughs> All that to say, let's talk about what freaking happened on episode four of EXU Calamity. And if you remember this episode, the previous episode ended with uh, Laren casting blight on the tree of names. It's sundering up the seam with fire. It's splitting open with Vespin stepping through into our world and presumably the Lord of the Hells as Modius not far behind. This episode opens up with a time stop spell going out and additionally um, a spell known as disjunction. It's an old 3E spell that basically disassembles and destroys your magical items. So Britain has every person roll a wisdom saving throw. And if they can pass the check, I think it was a 20, maybe a 23. I can't remember. Uh, if they can pass the check, they get to keep that magical item. If they fail the check, they take a lot of damage. I think 25, 26 points of damage per item. And the item is permanently destroyed, gone. So everybody rolls. Um, some were more lucky than others. I think Nidus only had one item get destroyed. Patia had like almost every item except for her staff get destroyed, which we found out after the fact that if the staff had been destroyed, it would have been like would an atomic bomb that killed everyone. Yeah. Um, of note, um, Xerxes only has his shield destroyed. And then his sword, his Holy Avenger, doesn't get destroyed. It corrodes into nothingness, similar to the solar bow from episode one. Um, Laren, I think, has a ring of protection destroyed, but is mostly okay. And then Sam's character, Loquacious, fails every single item except for one that he rolls a natural 20 on. It is the, the portable spell slot that Laren had gifted him in the previous episode. He rolls a natural 20. It's the only item that saves. Um, from this explosion, um, Pesha's knocked out. Um, 
I think Loquacious and uh, Nidus are close to being knocked out. Uh, but right after this disjunction spell, there's also this, uh, Brennan calls it a fireball. We don't know if it's an actual fireball spell or just like the explosion of the portal opening. But essentially what happens is everyone takes like 70 to 80 fire and force damage. It knocks out Nidus, knocks out Xerxes, knocks out uh, um, Loquacious. Uh, Laren gets knocked outside of the room through the door, outside of the time stop spell, uh, and Pesha is killed. She actually dies from this spell. Um, what then it goes from there is um, we see Laren is going to, outside of the time stop spell, she basically is like, well, my friends are dead and she's going to dimension door away <laughs> to a private viewing room where she's seeing like a feed of what's happening on Dwarmer, her little automaton or a automaton robot who's down in the room. Um, and this is all happening under a second. Uh, basically, <laughs> basically uh, we have death saving rolls that go out. Um, uh, Loquacious is going to fail. Uh, he's going to roll two sixes and also takes a death save or death fail from the damage as well. Um, Loquacious dies. Nidus is eventually going to succeed and be stable, but still at zero hit points. Xerxes, oddly enough, comes back. It seems like something has brought him back with three hit points. And what he sees is looking through the seam of the portal to the nine hells, presumably, or maybe uh the in-between space he sees this horrific form of asmodeus with he's able to see through the chest to see this heart with a humanoid in agony within the heart like breathing in pain and crying out and xerxes reaches out and he somehow his spirit form it's like out-of-body experience reaches out and touches this figure who is burning, is in agony, and this figure in being touched sees Xerxes and says, basically, I'm scared, like I, I'm, I'm hurting. And Xerxes being the freaking amazing, caring, redemptive paladin that he is, is basically like, don't be scared, like I'm gonna take care of you, you're okay. And pulls this figure through and basically pulls the true form of Asmodeus with this golden face and red hair, uh, the pre-corrupted version, into their world. And he decides to continue his atonement spell, his cleansing touch on Asmodeus, uh, casts it. It should have worked. Asmodeus is like, what are you, what's going on? What's, what's supposed to happen? And he's like, like, why isn't this working? Like, don't you remember like who you were before you became the Lord of the hells? And he's like, I think I do. And so Xerxes is kind of like, well, why isn't this working? Like, why isn't like, why aren't you being atoned? And as Modius, this is, by the way, this is at the 55 minute timestamp. You need to go watch this again. As Modius says, I think I know what's going on. You tried to resurrect Evandrin and it didn't work because he wasn't really dead. And he's like, yeah. And he's like, you're trying to atone me but I didn't do anything wrong. And his voice drops an octave Ugh. and he stabs in this, this moment. One. He stabs Xerxes. I know bro <laughs> stabs Xerxes through the heart, killing him, uh, revives him, him and Xerxes have this moment of Xerxes, like screaming, like, no, you're wrong. Um, remember who you were like, remember like the good side of you basically. And as is like, Hey idiot, this is really me. Like, <laughs> 
I'm super evil in case you haven't noticed. And he has this awesome kind of semi monologue about um, how much he despises mortals and how back in the day, you know, there's a perception that the betrayer gods hate the prime deities, but that's not true. These are his siblings. He, he, they all came here together. Who he really hates are the mortals who, as he puts it, turned his siblings against him. And Britain has this amazing line where he basically says, you know, my only heartbreak is that once I've collected all of the souls of the mortals and my prime deity siblings, once I've collected all of their souls into my pit, I will only have eternity to torment them Ooh. and punish them basically. Uh, and then he grabs, he rips the skin off <laughs> of Xerxes's skull, killing him again, uh, presumably revives him again. Xerxes wants to cast Resilient Sphere on himself, and Asmodeus um, ninth level counterspells it, then crushes him into the ground and breaks his spine and kills him a third time. <laughs> uh, and basically is like, yeah, you're dead. Like, I'm going to now ruin your world. And... Uh, in this moment, Zartaza, the Aranyes who had um, gotten the blood from Xerxes in a previous episode, is there as well. And Asmodeus grabs her by the throat, crushes her into the mace of the Black Crown, one of the arms of the Betrayer, and basically says to Xerxes's spiritual form, this is here if you decide you want to still be around, if you want to stay alive, this is here for you, but just know the cost of it. Xerxes passes on to the astral plane, sort of this in-between, this limbic space before going on to the afterlife, and he sees Evandrin, and Evandrin's kind of like, oh, did Laren send you here? And Xerxes <laughs> is like, uh, not exactly. <laughs> and Evandrin's like, no, like, you couldn't have died. Like, And he's like, okay, well, we can fix this. We can solve this. Like, We'll figure something out. And Xerxes knows that Evandrin's been locked away here for several years, that there's really no hope for him to most importantly save their son elias and that if elias is to be saved from the impending doom the only option is to pick up this mace of the black crown and to return to life um him and evandrin have this very sweet moment of evandrin just basically saying hey your your heart for redemption for believing the good in others it's not a flaw it's something beautiful and i worship that in you really great conversation and um uh, he grabs the, the the mace and returns to the mortal realm. Uh, these goat horns growing out of his skull and his armor becoming charred. And while this is happening, by the way, Laren is watching on the video feed from Dwermer um, Asmodeus talking to Vespin. And Asmodeus is like, hey, get the whole band together. And uh, Vespin's like, oh, they're all dead, by the way. <laughs> like, <laughs> these guys all killed them. And he's like, all right, whatever. Um, here's your job. You need to revive uh, Raushan and Kamort, the two primordials who are sealed beneath Mount Yagora, the only two primordials who were never killed. Your job is, as the, the city's dock, is to release them from their bonds and to have them join us uh, in the war against the prime deities and more importantly vasselheim so he dimension doors away we see him stepping through to gordranus the newly built capital of the betrayers in wildmount and we hear him say to another betrayer god brother um what do you say we go destroy vasselheim tonight uh and turns back to vespin and says hey get it done revive the primordials so he leaves um uh xerxes comes back 
basically says to Vespin, who Vespin sees him as a fellow fiend and is basically like, get out of here. Like, let me do my stuff. <laughs> and he's about to leave until he decides, you know what? I haven't learned my lesson quite yet on trying to atone super evil dudes. So he does cleansing touch on Vespin. This one succeeds. Vespin, Vespin's face grows back and immediately grabs the mace, basically says, this is a bad contract. Let me revise it and tweak it. And basically tweaks the infernal runes that are circulating this contract around the mace to not go into effect until dawn, which is a couple of hours away. And basically is like, you have till dawn to do what you need to do. Go back to the Hall of Prophecy to the original um carwin the original person who was declared mad um that's who you need to talk to um and xerxes immediately uh cast revivify on loquacious uh he lay on hands on nidus and then he's like i don't i have no other spell slots i can't bring back patia but loquacious has his one item that was never destroyed the level three spell slot that he gives to uh xerxes who then uses it to revive patia in a freaking awesome moment, the band is back together. Um, Sarit, meanwhile, I'm oh, sorry, I don't mean this first have to be so long, but six hour episode. <laughs> Sarit, meanwhile, does make it back to his home. Maya and Kier are both there, and he tells them, Hey, like he gives them the runes of recall and is like, Hey, you're going to go away for a while. And they're freaking out. They're like, is everything okay? And he's like, yeah, everything's, everything's going to be fine. But his, his ring of honor that glows when someone's lying is glowing in front of them. And, uh, they're like, why is your ring glowing dad? And it's just a real, like in the fields moment. And he's like, mm. Oh, it glows when danger's near. So you gotta go. And has Travis has this amazing moment where he says, um, remember I'll always have my eye on you. And then he crushes the rune of recall in their hands and they disappear going to wherever, um, clear eye is his wife uh, looking around the home realizing he was never there never present he actually sets fire to his office and burns down his home and knows that it's time to face what's coming and he heads back to the meridian labyrinth uh where everyone gets back together and like all right what do we do now so they go to the hall of prophecy they basically de deactivate the runes around carwin's bed we find out that the oracles were never crazy. They were just declared crazy because they were giving prophecy that was freaking terrifying. And Carwin basically then gives them a new prophecy, basically saying, if the primordials, Kamort and Rashan rejoin the betrayers, if this first step of the plan is successful, all hope is lost. Exandria will never see the dawn of hope, will never see um, you know, the calamity end, basically. And they all realize, okay, what do we do about this? And Laren realizes, I have an invention, the Astral Layrite, that I was going to use to move cities to different planes. What if I use that to move our primordials out of Exandria forever? Uh, and so that becomes the new plan. They all have their different tasks of where they want to go to basically help save as many people as possible. And so they all split up. And that is the first half of this amazing episode so will my friend take us home with the incredible second half yeah yeah good job by the way all right so the second half we pick up first with patia who has made her way to her grandfather's statue and 
she's basically thinking about everything she saw from the tree of names vision and just the cycle of selfishness that all led to this moment like not only the, the her own selfishness the selfishness of vespin and all those people but also dating back to the gaudrashari and her grandfather and as she's thinking about this she levitates up to the um, model avalier that is held up in the statue and actually breaks off <clears throat> the uh, librarium incantatum the portion that represents that she then takes that portion and her orb, which contains basically all of her knowledge, all of the notes, you know, basically it's like a condensed history, essentially, in this orb, all the relevant information that she's learned. And she teleports that to Sarah's daughter. <clears throat> and as she's doing this, Brennan asks her, um, you know, like in your mind, what like happened with your parents or something to that effect. And she's like, you know, I don't think she really thought about it. And so he, Brennan then shares this memory with her um, or one where she's just a small girl and her grandfather seemingly modifies both their memories and says, it'll be easier this way. Um, and being, having that memory kind of revealed to her, she like tries to grab her or back before she teleports it, but it's too late. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and so she teleports that away and it's then that Loris shows up walking out of the, you know, nearby Septariat door or whatever. And he's like, what's going on? And Paige is like, you know, what's going on? Like, and she just tells yeah. him to F off basically. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, all right, you know, what's going on? And Aladrin, the wise also comes out or Aladimir, sorry. And he's like, is everything okay? And after a brief conversation with Paige kind of filling him in, he's like, we must inform the Herald. Like loquacious must tell the people, um, to divert their arcane energy into the etheric net, you know, to, to save the cities, like sacrifice themselves so that Avalir can survive. And Pace is like, Oh, don't worry. Quay, like he's already on it. He knows what to say. And <clears throat> with that, she takes her leave, but not before telling Loris that, Hey, you're going to die tonight and you're going to die to a traitor to yourself and Avalir. Um, so then we cut to Nidus and Loquacious <clears throat> and Nidus is dropping off Loquacious at the Herald's Tome in order to give this speech. Um, but then Nidus himself heads back to the Golden Scythe, and there he tells Bodrin and Alessander, he's like, hey, come with me. We got to help the people of the city. Like, get our ships, evacuate the civilians. Uh, you know, we got work to do. And they're like... Forget forget the gold. Yeah, yeah. He's yeah, like, forget yeah, the gold. Troves of gold. Yeah. Like, thousands of gold. They're like, forget the gold. Forget, like, the ruling elite. Like, go help the people. And... Bajran says, like, as you will, Guildmaster, but as soon as uh, Nidus turns his back, he stabs him through the back, oh. and he's like, you've lost your way, you've lost your mind. And then in one turn, Nidus, uh, like, bonus actions, quickens spells, holds person, and then just unleashes his attacks on him. They're all <laughs> auto crits, and yeah. his dragon, uh, Shakurzan, also attacks him and kills kills him in one round. And he has this, uh, you know, he was just stabbed in the back. So his like, how do you want to do this? Is him just like slowly plunging his sword into the front. It's like, you know, not being a coward about it. And with seeing all that, Alessander's like, yep, I'm on it. Like, <laughs> we'll sure. do. Yeah. He's like, and we should send one of the ships to the university to get the children as well. Right. And he's like, yes, perfect. Um, so they're off doing that. And Nidus continues on and goes to the Hall of Constructs. Um, where he sends all but two of the tax men to go help the city, like go help fight these devils that are fighting all across the city. And 
it's when he's here that he noticed some of the engines have been tampered with, uh, specifically one of the Hodmadods that was in, I think, episode one. One of, one of the right. Hodmadods at the party was clearly messed with. So he sees how that happened. And he also sees that some of the taxman engines have also been tampered with. And he kind of puts two and two together because there are four that have been tampered with. And he's like, these must be the ones in the Meridian Labyrinth. And kind of when he's putting that together, all these Hodmadods and Kanalfi, or not, sorry, not Hodmadods, all these Kanalfi like kind of emerge from within the Hall of Constructs. They've been like waiting here to kind of ambush. They're probably the ones that tampered with the engines. And so Nidus finds himself surrounded but we hear this roar and the sphinx from earlier comes out and basically like decimates all these Kanelfi with his roar. And he's like, I think my debt's paid and yeah. basically <laughs> saves Nidus. Um, so then uh, we kind of transition back to the Herald's Tome where we have Loquacious. Uh, he finds his assistant Arya basically immediately begins prepping to address the people. Um, but suddenly a, a a portal opens up in front of him, this like majestic golden portal, and through it he can see the Feywild and also uh, Elmenor, the High War Queen of the Burning Vale, matriarch of the Seely Court. Um, and she speaks to him, but she's also speaking to all of the Fey, like across Exandria, all at the same time. And he like realizes this, and she's basically saying like, "Come, my children, like you have to get off this world, uh, like come back to the Feywild. I wish I could help everyone, but I can only help." you know my children or whatever um and loquacious is like i don't know what to do uh and he's like but if you ask me to come i'll come and then he immediately casts gift of gab which basically takes back the last thing you say and he says i i'm not coming i love you but i love someone else more and um elmanor is like understands and um you know the portal closes uh so then he goes back preparing for his speech uh but loris of the Weaver's Max shows up and is like, Hey, Harold, you got to give this speech, tell people they need to divert their energy to save the city. And Quay's like, yeah, that was the plan already for sure. You want to stay and watch the speech? And Loris, you know, like sits down and he's like sending messages and stuff. Um, but Quay then casts wall of force around him. And so now he's trapped and is basically like pounding on the wall. Like, what are you doing? And um, <clears throat> it's then that Quay basically launches into his monologue addressing the city. And it's, an amazing monologue. I'm not going to read it word for word here in the, in the you know sake of saving time, but he basically says the replenishment is canceled. The wizards of the city have failed you. Uh, he then transforms into Aladimir the wise and tells the people of the city, like run, like use your magic, save yourselves, just get out of here. But if you're a part of the ruling elite, if you're a part of the administration, you have to stay, like stay, fight, go down with the ship. And um, then he turns back into himself and basically gives a little heartfelt message to each member of the Ring, and, uh, of, the Ring of Brass, culminating with um, his message to Laren, basically saying, like, you know, you're the most beautiful woman I've ever seen. And then he launches into an ad read for the Market of Wonders. So it's a really funny <laughs> little transition there. Yeah. Um, uh, finally ending with Seely You Later. And uh, Brennan's like, no role required. That was a natural 20. Um <clears throat> We then cut to Kath Moira, where Xerxes and Sarah, uh, Xerxes is going to look for his son, and Sarah is tailing him, uh, unbeknownst to Xerxes. So they head there. Um, he heads to Nidus' brother's house, which is where his son is, finds his son, and his son is scared of him at first because he's got goat horns and basically looks like a demon now. Um, but he's like, just look, in, just look in my eyes like it's me. 
and he gives his son his journal and is like all the questions you have like all the information you need is in there um like take this and also he rode tempest to get here one of tempest's feathers kind of fell off and landed in the basket that alias was holding and um you know basically says he loves him and you know to get out of the city uh and flies away and Sarah uh sees all of this um but as Xerxes is flying back Cathmore is also under attack and by demons and stuff and so he shouts lay down your weapons in infernal because he is this champion of Asmodeus essentially and uh they actually listen so the demons that are attacking Cathmore lay down their weapons um and that enables the druids uh to get more people evacuated they're opening portals and um Basically, he saved a lot more people by doing that. Then we cut to the astral laywright, where Laren has arrived and realizes that what she wants to do in kind of getting rid of these primordials is possible. Um, it's an apogee solstice, so she could banish them, but she doesn't know what would happen to the city if she did that. Patia arrives and she's like, I saw the names of the primordials when I was touching the tree of life. Like, all there's hundreds of names for them. I know them together. We can make this work. Um, so they have a half hour basically to redo Laren's entire life's work. Um, the rest of the Ring of Brass also converge on this spot as Laren and Patia are working away. Um, alarms ringing out all over the city. It, we are like rapidly approaching the final docking of uh, Avalir and Kath Moira. Um, Luis asks Brennan how long till sunrise because this contract that Blake mentioned activates then. And he's like, it's sunrise is 545. It's probably like 533 right now. And Xerxes then tells everyone like what's happening with him and asks Nidus like, Hey, you know, don't let me become something I'm not. And Nidus is like, brother, you'll always be you. I'll make sure. Um, <clears throat> so now we cut to 18 seconds before docking three rounds and the door to the layright explodes in comes Vespin Chloros and the four taxmen. We roll initiative. So, <clears throat> Again, just to kind of run through this fight kind of quickly, Nidus first tells everyone the capabilities of these taxmen since he, you know, helped build them. He's very familiar with them and kind of gives them clues to how to fight them. And the fight is essentially the entire ring of brass trying to hold back Vespin and the taxmen while Laren slash Pesha continue work on creating this Layrite spell. Um, so every turn of these three rounds, Laren is, is rolling an Arcana check to progress. And... One of the first ones she does is she's told, okay, you have a choice to make. You can either ensure that the primordials are successfully banished, um, like 100%, or you can minimize like the damage that this is going to do to the city. And she decides, I got to like Avalir be damned. I got to make sure that these, you know, primordials are taken care of. Um, <clears throat> combat's continuing, combat's continuing. Um, at one point, Xerxes is going for an attack on Vespin, but he takes some opportunity attacks from Taxmen on the way, and he's knocked unconscious and falls down. Um, Nidus, having promised him that, you know, I will make sure you don't turn, um, takes his turn and readies his action at the end to be like, if I fall unconscious, I'm going to fall and plunge my sword into my brother's heart, Xerxes's heart. And uh, that does happen. And so he does plummet onto uh, Xerxes. And we basically get to the point where there's one final round. We need to make it to Laren's last turn for her last Arcana check. Um, and 
Quay is like, all right, to kind of ensure that she gets this turn, I'm going to use my action to hold a healing word on, um, on Laren. So he does that. <clears throat> and in the final round, Vespin casts power word kill on her. Um, and there's a whole lot that happens here. There's opportunity attacks, counterspell attempts, silvery barbs. Um, ultimately, ultimately, ultimately what happens though is the counterspells fail, but um, Brennan gives Sarah Travis, a reaction to Vespin casting shield on his opportunity attack. And it's a straight roll, no advantage, no disadvantage. And he rolls a natural freaking 20. It's insane. <laughs> and he kills Vespin on the spot. So the power word kill does not go off. And um, Laren is able to make that last Arcana check, do the last tinkering that she needs, and basically set this spell um, set the spell off. Uh, oh, I forgot to mention, she does take some damage, and that healing word held by Loquacious, like she would have been unconscious, but since right. he held that spell, she basically never even fell unconscious. Um, and so she's able to successfully do it uh, with a final Arcana check of um, a 32, which she rolled really well, plus uh, Brennan gave her extra inspiration from that loquacious spell healing her. Um, is she the woman that doomed the world or the one that saved it? And instead of releasing the primordials from their prison, they are banished across the plains of Exandria and basically obliterated. Um, <clears throat> what comes next, Brennan says, the players don't really see, but it's important for them to know. Ships are ferrying people off of Avalier to safety. Tempest, called back to his feather, has made his way back to Alias and has Alias on his back and flies through a portal into the Astral Sea, where he leaps into the arms of Evandrin, reunited at last. Um, Xerxes does not take Nidus' way out. He's given, even though Nidus did stab him, he's given, you know, one last opportunity. And he says that he knows there's redemption and salvation for everyone, so he returns to the living. And his body begins to shift now that we've reached sunrise. His body immolates. Um, Nidus, in these final moments, receives a sending from his brother, asking if he's okay. He says he's fine. All is well. They reminisce about their time as children. Pesha remembers her grandfather telling her, like, what's more important, Avalir or family? And he's like, we built Avalir. We can build it again. You know, the dreamer matters more than the dream. There are many dreams to come. Sarit gets a sending stone call um, from his, you know, wife and kids. And he apologizes for never being there. And he promises, like, I'm going to return to you. Um, but the energy of this spell going off kind of cuts out the signal of the sending stone. Um, Laren and Quay run, embrace, basically like profess their love again for each other, share a kiss, you know, whatever time is left, they'll spend it together. And as everything is crumbling around them, Sarah is faced with the final decision. Does he accept his fate or does he attempt to keep his promise to his family? So he looks for a way out <clears throat> with the last roll of the campaign, DC 30 with an inspiration from Nidus and Quay's Pact of the Boon if he needs it, he hits a 31. So he rushes through the collapsing tunnels and just barely makes it out, and uh, the Ring of Brass endures. And basically the Calamity sets off from there, and that's essentially where the uh, the episode ends. Ooh. Oh my gosh. Yeah, so that's what happened yeah, so in episode four. Bit a, bit of a long one. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to talk about. Um, if you're watching just the recap, click the link below to see our whole discussion. Uh, Will, th this this might be the best 
thing I've ever seen. <laughs> like these four episodes was one of the most amazing, enrapturing, beautiful stories that I have ever, like I am so grateful for the opportunity that I had to watch these four episodes. Um, and I'm unashamed about like for people who are like, you know, it wasn't that good. I'm like, it was, it was <laughs> that good. Like if I could erase, I used to say this about lost. If I could erase my memory and experience it again, yeah. I would do that for sure for this four part series. Um, and I've like blatantly, like annoyingly shared it with a lot of my other friends being like, <laughs> you have to watch this, these four episodes. Um, but Hey, so what do you think about it? <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, I agree. I thought it was incredible. I mean, basically every step of the way we've been talking about how good this is. Um, de like definitely one of my favorite stories of all time, for sure. Are like already in that list. Um, you know, comparison is the is the what do they say? Like the thief of joy or something. So not to compare it to to like you know campaign one, two, or three. It's just I don't think you can because it's just. I don't know. It, it's a four episode miniseries versus, you know, 120 plus. Um, yeah. I, yeah. And I've seen like some of these discussions happening and like, I think, I think you're right. Like comparisons, the thief of joy. I, I, I don't know how worthy those conversations are to be had. And like, I've even seen like some people like writing essays, like comparing like a four arc, four episode arc to an entire campaign. And like, well, here's why you could compare and here's why you can't. And I loop those people in with the same people who are like rules lowering the <laughs> final encounter. I'm like, I'm like, guys, you're, you're probably missing it. Honestly, yeah. you know, you're kind of missing it. Um, you know, I don't think these things are really mutually exclusive in terms of like, well, how does it compare to episode to campaign one? I'm like, my mind doesn't even go there. I'm just like, this was a four part story told over 20 hours. And it was for me personally, it was truly meaningful. I mean, I literally like, watching those last 30 minutes like when it was over i just leaned back and was like dude this was amazing yeah well, it was phenomenal and again not to <laughs> not to compare but just to to show how <laughs> just to show how like impressive it was that i know that feeling you're talking about kind of when it was over and just like sitting in that moment that was the same feeling I've had at the end of campaign one and two. So like they were able to emulate that depth in four episodes that, you know, was built in 120. Um, so it was just yeah. impressive work by everyone around. And we, we had a truly amazing cast. Um, Brennan Lee Mulligan is to borrow his words incredible. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's just, he was so good at, creating the emotional depth of the story and when players had an action or a detail he was so good at responding to it and then adding like a layer of of meaningfulness to it um i am forever going to be a fan of brennan i mean i was so amazed by what he accomplished in four episodes and shout out to him and matt collaborating we heard in the twitter spaces wrap up yesterday um he gave a little bit behind the table of like you know, what, what were like his boundaries. And he talked about how sitting down with Matt and kind of like exploring the lore together and Brennan being like, oh, this is thousands of years ago. So there, should they be like in togas? Like, you know, and, Brennan, and uh, Matt being like, no, like here's kind of like <laughs> what it was like. Uh, and shout out to Matt with trusting Brennan with his baby. Basically. I think Brennan just, 
from episode one, we saw the world building in play and, um, it, I'm trying to find like new ways to say how much I loved, <laughs> loved it. But, um, anyway, yeah, I'm starting to think that that Brennan guy might know what he's doing. <laughs> yeah. I, I haven't seen any of his other stuff. Like from episode one, I was like, all right, who's this guy? This is going to be good. Yeah. And, um, from episode one, I was like, this guy is incredibly gifted. And now finishing episode four, I'm like, I, I need to go find his other content. So, yeah, I've been, some of the, been talking to some people in the comments of our videos that like, I didn't watch critical role, but but checked this out because of Brennan and they watched dimension 20, which is, I think, I don't know if that's the name of like an all encapsulating name for what they do, or if that's just like one subsection of it. Um, but they came over from that side of things. And so I was talking to them a bit about like where to start. And, um, I mean, not that we need to get lost in the weeds of this right now, but you and I, I think we should totally should like maybe even yeah. do a, do a series on it. Cause they're, they're much okay. shorter. I think they're only a few episodes like this was um yeah i'm definitely like chasing a high like chasing a drug now of i need more you know it's been ironic short form <laughs> yeah you know short form content if you will but yeah like three four five episodes maybe um i mean where do we start with this episode i don't know I mean, man <laughs> there's like a lot of things i want to talk about and i like kind of just a meta conversation about the series as a whole as well um sure let me scroll down to the the bottom of my notes here um i mean first while we're talking about brennan just to goose on him a little bit more some of the freaking one-liners bro and quotes he had not only in this episode but just throughout the series were so good um you know not the least of which is how he ended it out being like you know why do we tell stories that little monologue um but you mentioned this in the recap being like you know my greatest heartbreak is that when I've collected all my siblings and the mortals, I'll only have eternity to punish them. Um, and one other one I noted was uh, when Sarah is at his house, you know, after sending his kids away and kind of just like reminiscing, uh, I think Brennan ends it with like, you've solved the mystery of who your children were. Like that's like the last great mystery you've solved. And I was like, Ooh, so good. He was really gifted at, just those moments happening and saying like the perfect line for sure. Um, it, you know, and I know there's a lot, I'm trying to like make some comments without like pulling in like a bit of the obnoxious crowd of like, you know, don't try to emulate Matt Mercer or Britain, you know, yeah. but I'm like, let's, let's also recognize some things that are really special and that's creating these weighty moments. And Travis even mentioned, um, and we'll probably reference it a couple of times, but yesterday they had a preliminary post series wrap up via Twitter spaces, which I don't know if I was the only one who knew <laughs> what, like who found out for the first time what Twitter spaces even was <laughs> it's like an audio call, I guess. Yeah. But, um, Travis even mentioned that he typically doesn't like really in, feel the emotional weight of things that are happening, but he found himself really hit by these moments with his kids and that specific scene even, um, which by the way, if you watch like the last 30 minutes, everyone's crying, <laughs> like everyone's crying. Everyone's in the feels. I mean, I'm crying. I mean, this was just like so great. The other line that I really loved was Badron when he stabs Nidus in the back, uh, when Nidus is like, you know, forget all the treasure, forget all the gold. Let's save as many people as we can. Yeah. And Badron says, you've lost your mind since the beginning of time. The gods made all the gold there will ever be there will always be more people 
and like Ooh. everyone it's like the old rpgs like so-and-so will remember that it was like <laughs> everyone everyone felt that um so yeah there were some amazing lines from brennan um for sure and i'm super jelly that i've never been creative enough to like as a dm come up with those great moments um well i, I know he's had a lot of practice uh so, you know, don't beat yourself up. I think he's been doing it. I remember, So I've never seen any Dimension 20 or, or anything, but there was some video that like he and Matt collaborated on that was like GM tips for homebrewing that I watched forever ago. And I remember, again, I'm, I don't I shouldn't even brought this up because I don't remember it well enough, but he was talking about how he's been like DMing since he was like nine or something. So, yeah. I mean, the man isn't freaking expert. He's clearly put the time in. So, you know, don't don't beat yourself up. You'll get there. Yeah. Since we're kind of on the theme of like great moments or like great lines, um, the fact that Loquacious's only item that wasn't destroyed was the Nat 20 Ooh. on the spell slot. Like, I wonder what would have been their options, you know? Like, it was just so perfectly, it was so, that and also the Nat 20 on Vespin. Mm. Like, there were just these moments that were so insane. Yeah. That. I mean, I just couldn't believe it. I mean, it was just incredible. And then also Loquacious, when he lies to um, Loris and then says, do you want to watch the broadcast? <laughs> I was like, what are you doing, Sam? Um, yeah, great moments for sure. 100%. <laughs> and again, not to just goose on this for an hour, but I can't believe I left this one out. But uh, Brennan's whole original Asmodeus speech when he was like, because I did nothing wrong, you know, or whatever. Oh, bro. Yeah. So Joy's good. been, my wife's been quoting that. Like <laughs> I'll be in the kitchen, like getting a drink and she'd be like, but I didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, okay, honey, you got it. <laughs> so, so. kind of, and again, we're, I'm, we're probably just going to like jump all over the place here, but like yeah. if I'm steering somewhere and you weren't ready, just stop sure. me. Yeah. But speaking of that moment, kind of to, to dive into it a little bit you know we have him emerging from the tree but like you mentioned in the recap he's first like this grotesque like demon let's say with the true asmodeus in the heart mm -hmm. and as we know xerxes kind of had to pull him out which you know he is the blood of the chosen one like clearly xerxes was integral and regardless of this the the tree being destroyed regardless of what vespin had working in the background Clearly Xerxes, I think, had to, as the final peg in this plan, pull him out. Otherwise, what's with that ruse of like him being, you know, why why the ruse of like the demon with the true form in the heart? Like, what did you take from that? Yeah, I, I think it's one of those things that like Brennan purposely left a bit ambiguous, but I, I think I think above the board there it was maybe kind of like a backup plan if the tree like wasn't destroyed so to speak or if someone else hadn't like ushered in the calamity so to speak like we still have like this sort of blood plan i think in terms of like a more neat and tidy like in the board kind of or in play kind of conversation where my mind goes is that like it was like the final barrier on this world was they had to be like invited or drawn in and you know the barrier was destroyed the tree of names was destroyed but Xerxes, through the pact of blood drawing him in, was the final, you know, gap to leap over to finally enter our world. Um, and uh, I also liked how Brennan, just as a random aside, I kept waiting for him to describe Asmodeus, and he never really did. He just 
really as much as he said was like you you cannot comprehend like the evilness of what you're seeing in front of you um so i also just randomly also enjoyed that um but we did get a couple of details you know 12 feet 12 feet tall and red-skinned but um yeah, I, I I assume that was happening. Is that is that your take on it too? Yeah, that was my take. That it was kind of the last thing that needed to happen for him to like fully walk this plane again. Um, which I do think that these are just really cool. Like there may be that that basis behind them, but also like you mentioned, it's kind of like flavor and you know enhancing the moment. So I think this next question I say is kind of beside the point but I'm still going to say it anyway. I wonder if that implies that maybe there were other chosen ones that ushered in the other betrayer gods that made their way over as well. And this was like a multi-pronged plan or if Asmodeus was just really the only one pulling strings and because he got through now everyone can. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I don't know if it was like within the same, um, like the context was the same, I mean, Xerxes, we, we had wondered in episode three, like we, we thought the sort of twist on Asmodeus' story as like just trying to do the right thing and being kind of thrown under the bus was, I, I thought it was kind of clever. And I thought maybe there's some truth to this. And, um, you know, our original gut feeling of him being played ended up being true. He was getting played. Um, I don't know if that context is, would be true for other champions, yep. but we do at least know in Xerxes' case, um, do got played pretty bad. <laughs> um, which, I mean, you watch the rest of the table reacting as he's drawing Osmodius in. Um, you know, Abria almost kind of crossed the line of like table etiquette of her being like, you know, like, what are you doing? You know, rather than kind of letting it happen. But um, yeah, do got played pretty bad. And uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> but that's that's the fault of his character, right? Is And you mentioned it in the, the Twitter spaces conversation that, He's an oath of redemption paladin who at his core believes in the salvation and redemption of everyone. Um, but even at the end, when he has the option of, um, you know, he has the option. Sorry, my wife just walked in. I'm trying not to like spoil, spoil <laughs> anything. Um, one second. You, you take it. Yeah, just yeah. Two seconds. So I will say that I thought for those of you that didn't watch the Twitter space, um, one of the things Luis brought up was that he told Brennan, you know, he, he wants to have this Ark of Redemption paladin, right? Um, and he says, I would like to have an encounter with a betrayer, but that's all he told Brennan. And Brennan basically crafted this whole, you know, arc, if you will, of him and Asmodeus. Whereas Lu Luis just thought that I'm talking about what Luis said during the Twitter space, um, how he just thought, you know, he wanted to have an encounter with the betrayer, but he assumed it would be like on the battlefield, right. like facing it. And really Brenham hit him with this whole like really personal um, arc with Asmodeus. And I thought that was so cool that like, you know, cause we, we had talked about how much like the players knew how much input they had on kind of maybe what, not that they knew what was going to happen, but like, you know, maybe helped kind of tool certain storylines maybe so it's just cool to know that that was all brennan you know the only direction was that i would like to see a like i'd like to meet a betrayer and um i don't know just again not to just goose on on brennan but just 
so well done and kind of quick segue there you know during the twitter space as well he kind of talked about like all the players never felt like they were being railroaded for this four episode story that we knew where it was going yet they still felt like they had complete freedom and brennan was like if you know your players you know the rails like so just like talk to your players know what they know their characters and you kind of know what they're going to do without having to ask them so you can you can still i don't like using the word railroaded but you could still railroad them without them feeling railroaded um yeah i think that's a bit of the difference too with like the long form campaign is like and i think matt's even maybe mentioned this like the world is sort of yours to explore as you will and you have the space and time you know 100 episodes plus to explore that mm -hmm. you don't necessarily have that in four episodes um I don't necessarily want to compare this to the original EXU yet. Um, but yeah, in, in this four arc story, it could have very easily been, all right, you go here, you do this, you do that. And you can tell that these certain places that Brennan built, i.e. like the Hall of Prophecy, the players sort of intrinsically went to those places. And actually, if you watch back, Brennan's very good at being subtle about it. There's an episode, I think it's early in episode three before they go to the Hall of Prophecy. Or maybe it was episode two. We go to, it's whole, episode two, I guess, they go to the Hall of Prophecy. Um, earlier in that episode, Brennan, they're just sort of talking about everything that's happened. And Brennan says, basically says, now remember, you guys still don't know what happened at the Hall of Prophecy. But yeah. he says it way more subtle than that. And people are like, oh yeah, let's go check out the Hall of Prophecy. <laughs> and it didn't, like you said, it didn't feel like a railroad. Um, even though this was obviously a very... Um, but Brennan said in the Twitter spaces, he never expected um, Nidus to go. And so yeah. that was a really cool detail where they kind of got to ad hoc, you know, create this, this moment. Um, and that was pretty refreshing to me too. Cause you know, when, when a series like this ends, like you don't necessarily want to see how the dough gets made or the meat gets made or whatever the expression is, but like, you kind of wonder like how much was talked about And the Twitter spaces conversation yesterday just kind of helped reinforce that like this was sort of like this happening as it was happening kind of thing it does seem like the players were given like a very generic high level um like i kind of envision like a murder mystery party like where everyone's given like the description of their character um yeah. and like the reason you would have to have done it because we heard the players mention several times over the series like i thought it was going to be you i thought it was going to be me so it sounds like they were all given like a you know one of you is going to be the one to sort of pull the trigger but you all have like a reason why you would. Yeah. Yeah. And how cool that like that, you know, Nidus going to the Hall of Prophecy, which, you know, Brennan didn't expect, ended up being like a major shift for his character. Like him seeing that prophecy, uh, you know, kind of made him turn sides in terms of that final conflict when they, some were touching the tree, Laren wanted to destroy it. Uh, so just really cool that all that kind of just blossomed organically. Um, and I know I would keep saying stuff about Brennan, but there is one more thing I wanted to mention on him. Uh, the freaking just balance and like tempo. I don't know if that's the right word, but, uh, you know, almost seven hour episode that started with like this combat encounter that basically killed half the players destroyed 90 percent of their magic items and that was all in like the first you know 10 percent of the episode and then we still have a very important combat at the end of the episode and just like mm -hmm. the dm balance and obviously you know if you've dm'd you know you can kind of like push things one direction or the other so you don't you know accidentally kill your whole players or anything but just still phenomenal to like 
have the episode start where it did and still have such high stakes, like high tension combat with such like depleted resources at the end. So just, yeah. And bravo. I wondered where this would end up. And I love that it ended with, with Vesp and Chloris. Like this was the original like face of evil to the story that we knew um, yeah. from the Tal'Dorei reborn source book. And then also mentioned in critical role campaign three, um, he's mentioned in the first episode, he shows his face. So I, I loved how in a world of fighting evil gods, it came down to this corrupted man that they end up fighting. Um, which if you're okay going there, I have some questions in terms yeah. of like sort of, and sorry, I, my wife brought in some food, so I'm going to keep accidentally hitting my plate oh, in front of me. You. Um, so, so here's what presumably happens. Um, and I want to get your take on this. So we know from past content, from past episodes, so everyone's been wanting to emulate the ritual of seeding, this ascension that the Matron of Ravens did. We know that Vespin from the first episode tried something similar, but rather than unseat a prime deity, wanted to unseat a betrayer god, presumably got his head handed to him, was made a pawn of Asmodeus, and became his puppet. And then from that two-week point, Asmodeus was basically using him um, to basically create the end of the world. Um, my question for you is Brennan calls him, this is a detail that popped up on Reddit, Brennan calls him a Malconvoker, which is a subclass from a previous edition, I think it was third edition, maybe second edition of D&D, which the specific description, I'm just reading off the top of my head, a Malconvoker is someone who understands infernal ology <laughs> demons and fiends and basically can manipulate them towards the path of good so it's created this questioning of two sides of the story basically was vespin hungry for power and tried to take over the betrayer god's position in sort of like a self-serving arrogant way or was you know if you think back to his interview where he says wouldn't it be better for the world if we were to destroy a betrayer as opposed to a prime deity do you think his intentions were possibly even noble and good and he was you know his naivety basically cost the world um its future what do you think uh, i think both you know i think that he maybe had some good intentions in terms of you know wanting to usurp a betrayer get that guy out of the picture but still to like want to become a god i think there's a lot of obviously like selfishness there and arrogance and you know hubris which is like the theme of the whole miniseries but i think both are true you know i don't think it's a black and white thing like he was pure evil and just wanted to become a god to take over the world i you know i think uh humans are messy gray true. you know so for my money i think he was imperfect uh but probably had some, 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 it wasn't just a pure evil ascension. I think there was some like for the good of, you know, I'm helping out other people too. Like I'm going to become a God, sure. but I'm also doing the world a favor. So, yeah. Well, I like how you called it gray too, because yeah, maybe he was even like, you know, being in a true form of being like unaware, not self-aware, you know, was legitimizing it in his head. Um, cause we know also in the Twitter spaces conversation regarding the astral lay, right? Um, we know that the Drushari tithe, I think he said 25, I think Brennan said 25% was supposed to go to the tree of names and then the, all the rest was supposed to go to the replenishment. 
but over the most recent years that had been dwindled down to only 5% and the rest was being basically siphoned off for people's own indulgences and specifically mentioned as Nidus and Laren to sort of fund this project, the astral yeah. playwright, they were even taking that energy, um, that etheric energy and bartering with other people to sort of either fund the project or, you know, keep the project under wraps. Um, so in this, in a similar way, they were doing things that I'm sure in their mind, you know, for the greater good yeah. made sense, even though, you know, the morality of it could probably be questioned. Yeah. A hundred percent. It feels like that's kind of the running, the main running theme through everything. Like every character kind of had that same. Flaw. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and on the vestment thing, uh, I also just thought it was so cool how, you know, I don't think he was redeemed, but he had that kind of moment of lucidity when, you know, Xerxes cleansed him or whatever. And, you know, we could see that he was full of regret and, you know, like I'm, the world is going to remember me for this. Like, I hope I'm forgotten. He's like, I hope you're like, for your sake, I hope you're forgotten. Like, cause I'm not going to be yeah. type of thing. Which I um, love Xerxes, you know, that hasn't been written yet. And we're kind of like, no man, he's pretty <laughs> nice to say, but <laughs> yeah. And I, I wonder though, if that was even like, um, you know, we know the father of lies, um, you know, basically I, I, I presume as Modius maybe showed him that his name would be destroyed and, uh, he made a deal just like, just like Xerxes did, you know, made a deal to not be forgotten. And we saw what happened. Yeah. And yeah. And I think that that moment of lucidity kind of shows that he wasn't just pure evil, you know, um, which is such a cool moment too. Uh, it made me wonder, like, that's one of those things that like, if that moment hadn't have happened, I'm sure Brennan would have had another way to be like, Luis, you have until sunrise, yeah. you know, cause I, but maybe not. I mean, probably though, but it, just such a cool way to like kind of buy him that time of, you know, rewriting yeah. the end of the contract before it's finished. Um, but you know, just the, the curious part of me is like, what would have happened if, you know, he had never tried to, to cleanse Vespin and that moment never happened. Um, well, I mean, like, when he did it though, I mean, I don't know about you, but I was just like, oh, like Xerxes, dude, you gotta <laughs> stop, man. Like, that's who he is, man. It. That's who he is. It's, yeah, and I, I think it's, I, I don't fault Luis for it either. I think he played that fault well. But I mean, like, even at the end when Nida stabs into the heart and Brennan's like, do you move on to the afterlife or do you? And he's like, you know, I still believe anyone can be redeemed. I was like, bro, like, bro, bro. <laughs> Bro. bro, I was I was glad because I'm hoping we might see him again in some form or fashion. Sure, I mean, yeah, but I'm like, bro, yeah, <laughs> like, because because here's the way I don't think it's just like belief in redemption for himself. I think it's it's belief in redemption of Asmodeus, like truly believes in redemption, and so like I'm gonna, you know, I'm not just believing my own redemption. I'm believing that Asmodeus can even be redeemed, and I'm like bro like this guy is tragically flawed in terms of his naivety i'm like and, I, and again i'm not i'm not knocking the character i don't yeah, think it's yeah, a poorly written thing i'm just like reacting as a viewer i'm just like bro like <laughs> just go to heaven bro like just just be amongst the reeds and just like enjoy well, life Sit on who a knows beach. if that's where he was so, headed 
True. Yeah. I wasn't even if he had chosen to be like, no, I want to pass on. I don't think it would have. I don't think he would have. You really think Asmodeus is gonna like have that simple of an out clause for like his chosen champion? Yeah, true. He did. It was a bargain for his soul. So maybe it's sweeter this way. Maybe you're right. Maybe it's the illusion of choice. He didn't really have a choice, but the yeah. fact that he got to choose, um, maybe that does make it a bit sweeter for sure. So and. While we're on Xerxes, I have some thoughts here. And I actually, I tweeted at Luis and he responded. I didn't, I don't know if you saw, but I I wanted to talk to you about it here and not away from the podcast. But a lot of, let me see if I can find the exact quote. But a lot of things Luis was saying made me wonder some stuff. And some other people were thinking the same thing. Um, so in that first like speech where at the beginning of the episode where, you know, Asmodeus is like, I did nothing wrong. And they kind of have this back and forth and, you know, Xerxes is yelling at him. He's like, um, you're not this. Have you forgotten? You think, you know, how you came here. You think you stumbled across this place. Um, look at me. I am godless. I am a conduit of divinity that is far greater and more ancient than anything you've ever understood. Uh, you didn't stumble upon this place. You were called here. We have always been here. You were wandering in the abyss, lost, and we called you here so that you could have a home. You didn't create anything. We've always been here. You came and shaped and you changed, but you didn't create. You are no God. You are a child. And <clears throat> column A, just amazing like character moment, character work. Yeah. But column B, some of that stuff, like, is Luis just making that up on the spot or is that coming from somewhere? Um, and I think we briefly talked about this maybe in some of our Campaign 3 podcasts or something. Um, but there's uh, – we talked about the beacons that made an appearance. Luxon. Yeah, Luxon the Luxon is um, – Don't worry. I, I, I caught up okay. on my, my lore from – I was like, let's just rip the, the spoiler bandaid oh. off here because I got I to gotta <laughs> know some more. But Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, so the Luxon so, beacons, right? So – and this is like this is slight spoilers for anyone that's like I don't want to know anything about anything, like maybe mute for a minute. Um, but it's not like it's not like st- storyline relevant spoilers. Yeah. It's like I, lore. I wouldn't call it. I yeah, I wouldn't even call it a campaign to spoiler because I yeah. in deep diving I didn't feel like anything was spoiled for me. Yeah, it's just lore of the of the world at whole. So the Luxon, and I mean this isn't like we know this to be a fact. This is just what some cultures believe that the Luxon is like this entity that found Exandria and it was just a rock and the Luxon in order to understand itself, cause it didn't know, it doesn't know what it is um, kind of embraced Exandria and gave it life. And that's when the primordial sprung up. And right. uh, then, you know, as we've found out in this series, at some point these deities arrive on Exandria and start doing stuff. Right. Um, but we know, or at least we, th- I, I mean, who knows? It, it, the truth could be anything, but the deities are what created the mortals. So the fact that Xerxes is out here saying, like, you didn't create me, like, we were, like, I was already here, made me wonder, like, is, we know he doesn't believe in any gods, or doesn't get his power from gods, but maybe does he get his power from the Luxon? Is he a paladin of the Luxon? And that's why he's talking in this way, being like, you know, I am representing something far older than even you. Yeah. And like those things all like line up too nicely for it to just have been something randomly that Luis decided to say in that moment. And so I, 
I tweeted at him and I was like, hey, you know, since Calamity's over, like, do you mind answering this question? I was like, some of the things you were saying uh, made me think that you might be a Paladin of the Luxon. Um, and let me just look up exactly what he said. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he said... Uh, Thumbs up emoji. <laughs> he said, an excellent question that I don't have the answer to. Ha ha. But I love the theory. So okay. that's, it's not a no, it's not a yes. And it also like, it's not like Luis has watched every episode of Critical Role, you know? So I don't, I don't know what to take here. It seems like way too much of a coincidence for it to be something he just improved. But so like maybe Brennan and or Matt, like kind of had a discussion with him and didn't like fully flesh out like, all right, here's, this is what the Luxon is. This is what, you know, like didn't necessarily like explain all that to him in depth, but maybe he knows something. And I do, I do think, you know, it's, yeah, I do think it's a little bit of both. Like he's having this awesome moment and there's a little bit of like, maybe I would even call it like a Bob Ross happy accident there of like, okay, that could, that could actually be something. Um, yeah, I, I agree with you. I don't think he was like sat down and said like, this is what you are. I think, right. I think in the moment he's speaking out of like, because he said he doesn't believe in the gods, which, I mean, they exist, um, but presumably, like, doesn't necessarily believe in, like, bowing down completely to the gods. So there's, like, a personal authority there. I think that's partly what he's speaking to. Like, we were we were here. Like, you shaped, you didn't create. Um, but I think you're pointing out it almost felt like something was speaking through him. Mm -hmm. Possibly what came before you know the luxon um i think i think you've, you've picked on something really cool and i think there's if if i'm matt mercer i'm thinking about that moment and being like ooh, and you know getting my pen to paper like oh that that could be really good and already letting the thoughts go um so there and there was also i don't remember the exact phrasing i wish i'd wrote it down but there are also a few different times i don't know if it was like in the conversations with the vandrin or maybe at another point but like brennan specifically said like you are your heart alone is like connected to a power like far beyond the stars or something i'm paraphrasing but there was yeah. something said to that effect and so that combined with this too it's like what are they talking is it just like a flowery moment of saying like you know because he's the linchpin and everything that's happening yeah. here or is it something deeper and there is some connection to the lux in here well there's like also like you know uh, like big bang-esque um dialogue around like stardust you know becoming life and all these different things um yeah the allusions to the cosmic like stars like beyond the stars mm -hmm. and the power of stars and even from his first dream all of this seems to call back to a at the moment of creation type imagery uh which I think only gives more credibility to what you're talking about, which again, feels too intentional to be accidental. Yeah. So I feel like it might not be as simple as like, that's a direct line from Xerxes to the Luxon, but I feel like there's enough debris around that there might be something going on. I just don't yeah. know exactly what that would be. And I do, yeah. I mean, and the fact that he just didn't straight out say no, I think is interesting too, but yeah. I don't also think he, I don't think he was like, I don't know. We've, yeah. we've said it. I don't need to expand on it again, but yeah. Hmm. 
also just shout out Luis, man like how cool yeah. of him to respond like and he's he's liked a few of our tweets talking about the show so just what one a guy. of us one of us <laughs> yeah we, we'll invite him on the podcast next week I, I think that's what's really special about watching something like calamity is you see people at the table who maybe you haven't typically like if you're a cr watcher you haven't necessarily seen some of these people before and um yeah he was amazing he was really amazing he really played his character well and um for me it's just always a, a nice again happy accident you know i watch something and i'm like i don't know who this person is and i'm like okay i love that person like mm -hmm. i want to see more stuff from that person um felt the same way with with um robbie for example where it yeah. was like i need to see everything robbie related now <laughs> um but uh yeah that's definitely one of the cool and, and honestly it i don't know about you but it gives i think there was prior prior to the start of campaign three there was sort of this just speaking out for myself this ponderance around where does the CR brand go without Matt Mercer and without this specific table? You know, it's kind of a very much like Sam Walton dies. Like where does Walmart go now? Or like, you know, Steve jobs dies. Where does Apple go now? Like, can't, is there a future there? And uh, I think calamity did really well for the brand of critical role. Uh, we had a table that Matt Mercer was nowhere to be found we had new cast people uh, a new dm and it was one of the best pieces of content that the critical role brand has put out uh, if i'm a longtime fan of critical role i'm beyond just the success of calamity i i should be feeling incredibly excited knowing that this brand can continue and flourish even without the original cast yeah and i hope I mean, I hope it's a, I hope it's a long way away before Matt ever hangs it up. And I mean, even if he hangs it up, he's still going to be involved, you know, right? Because they they built a juggernaut here that they're not just going to walk away from entirely. Um, but the, when Matt takes a step back, I hope that's not for a long time still. But friggin' write Brennan Lee Mulligan a blank check to join this team, like it, if he's the one that takes over when Matt does step down eventually, or if he just if they start running two shows you know or maybe just miniseries like get that man on the team like he, oh yeah he needs to be and i know they're doing dimension 20 stuff so not to take away from that but yeah yeah come on now it is it is funny though i talked to someone the other day where i was like hey have you seen calamity because i knew they did D D, and he was like oh that's, that's the critical role thing right and i was like yeah and he's like i honestly have never watched anything critical role i've only ever watched dimension 20 so bringing it back around to our like our original conversation it is cool how there's like an entire tribe for that um and i'm like we said at the start i'm excited to indulge in that as well yeah me too so um, what was i gonna say uh oh just quick shot i mean not that we were really on this subject but also lou man we were talking about how great. Luis yeah. and also brennan being new people abria as well but we've had you know for the first exu yeah. i don't consider her new really right. um blew me away like i think uh, it's this is so tough like picking between your your i don't have kids but like picking a favorite between your kids uh i want to say that like nidus and and uh, xerxes were like my two favorite characters they were also great but like it's crazy that these two new people were able to catapult themselves immediately into that discussion um so i think it's i mean lou's done i don't know how much how much D, &D content Luis has done i know lou has done a lot with brennan um yeah. mission 20 um 
I got the impression Luis might have been the most um, uh, amateur, maybe, like, like least experienced. Yeah, I'm trying to find the right. I don't want to use that wording because it's. I think it's it's disrespectful. I think to how well they did. Um, like the most, the least exposed. I think um, that we've seen them, um, and they were they were just amazing. Um, yeah, they they played their parts really really well for sure. Um, yeah, it just makes me excited for more guests like on these shows. Mm-hmm. Like, um, is it Eric Ashi? Uh, you're, uh, uh, Ishii, I think, but yeah. Ishii. Okay. Yeah. And I apologize. I, I had never seen content from her, but then I was calling back to the latest guest on critical Role campaign three. Um, yeah, she's amazing. Um, there's, there's just, it's great having these cast people come on and just getting to experience different personalities and people's di- people's different styles and, you know, yeah, and watching That's them cool. if they are new, kind of fall in love with it, you know, and like yeah. just naturally take to it, like like and, Robbie and um, and showing other people, like my wife, like hey, check out this show, and then they're like, and then they're enraptured in it, and they're yeah, like, yeah. where's where's this been my whole life? And you're like, right. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a great time for D and D in general, for sure. It's good so. stuff. So if I can transition the conversation. Um, I don't know how long we need to be with this, but I'd like to hear your thoughts on, so we have calamity who just ended and I'm just going to go and say to almost universal acclaim, like the comments I've seen calling it just some of the best content they've ever seen. It's not hard to find these comments comparing this to the first EXU. Um, I won't loop Kaimal into this because I haven't seen it yet. Uh, the two part story. I haven't seen it yet. And also I've also seen pretty positive things about Kaimal. Um, but I haven't seen it, so I don't want to comment. But just the the maiden voyage into EXU territory, the first nine episode arc that we got to experience to um I don't know if it's unfair to say mediocre responses or lukewarm responses. Some people really loved it, some people didn't like it. There was a lot of conversation about that. In your minds, what did Calamity do well that wasn't present in the original EXU? Like, why wasn't the acclaim quite there for the original EXU? They're so different. Like, Calamity had it had built in the highest stakes possible from the beginning. These are high-level characters that already had rich, storied histories powerful connections like they were important people within the world so there's a lot of cool things to explore just at their stations in life um the again the like the highest possible stakes like this is a we're witnessing event that is like possibly the most important event in the history of the world i think that just they're two different stories like kind of like i think we i mentioned way back at the beginning of this episode the feeling of these four episodes kind of reminded me of the same weight that a end of a campaign had like and that just wasn't present in exu because that's not what or that wasn't present in the first exu because that's just not the story that was being told you know i again comparisons the thief of joy right but i just really don't think you can compare them it like the first exu was just more of like a normal campaign like yeah there was kind of some place we needed to end up at the end of the eight episodes but nowhere near in the same way that there was with calamity and these are low-level characters we're just meeting them for the first time they're not important they're not powerful 
Um, and they're just kind of finding their way in the world. And as we know, that was the introduction for some of our campaign three people. So it kind of sure. served as a prologue for campaign three. And right. I think you're, you're comparing like the first chapter of a Burke book to like the last chapter of a seven series of books. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. And also, I mean, just, it feels like everyone is firing off on the highest of levels for calamity. Not that anyone like phoned it in for exu but i don't know i just like they're like two different beasts to me and i think calamity has a lot that like is working for it to make it yeah more impactful you know i don't know yeah the context the premise is definitely more favorable i think for the calamity because it's something that's been referenced so many times and like you said from the first episode of the first exu you know they're waking up from like partying and you're kind of like okay so like what's kind of where are they? What's going on? Who are these people? And um, I think also you mentioned like the cast of Calamity really firing off. I think it is fair to call the first EXU kind of a maiden voyage into like new content because it did feel like they were kind of exploring things and trying things for better or worse, um, including the great uh, Amy and Robbie, who were awesome cast people, but they were sort of having to learn the mechanics of D&D in those first few sessions you know, asking like, okay, so what's, what's advantage or how do I do this? Or even there was even like some weird tension too, of like Abria having to explain like, you know, this is, this is what you should be doing right now in terms of like what to roll and how to use your character sheet, stuff like that. All of these things can be really, um, an interrupting of pacing for the story, mm-hmm. um, which in calamity, I mean, it went from like one thing to the next, but I think, I do think that with, the first EXU, there was sort of this sense of like, let's kind of find the story. And we mm-hmm. talked about this in our, in our post episode discussions of like, okay, which wh- no, okay, now what's the thread we pull on? Mm-hmm. Whereas calamity, it was a lot more tangible. Um, and I think even like, I do wonder like, what would EXU have been if instead of nine episodes, it had been four episodes. Um, so that feels like a big difference there too of, you know, it was a bit, it was less, targeted in terms of where the story was going i think yeah i mean calamity was far more polished and i don't mean that as a slight to the first exu but like matt and brennan sat down figured out like they knew the story that was being told and then they crafted that story exu the first one was just let's see what happens you know what i'm saying so you can put a lot more like I don't know. There's just two different beasts. And it's what you said about like kind of Robbie and Amy, like still learning some of the D and D things, um, them and also everyone else at the table was also learning their characters. Like, and I don't mean mechanically, I mean like role play wise, like that's cause I mean, that's what you do when you make a brand new character in a brand new campaign, right. you have ideas for what they want to be, but they get fleshed out as you play. Right. For calamity, they were, experts on their character their characters already had they were already fully fleshed out three-dimensional right beings that they got to play with because they probably meticulously worked that out you know so i think that all those things kind of coming together is what is probably what made people a lot higher on calamity than compared to the first one yeah and i I do think it's great first six is great for like seeing different dm styles i think abri is a lot more like rule of cool um you know and i i think actually the comment i said i saw like on reddit was like matt wants to create a really amazing like story for you to engage in and then brendan wants to give you ptsd (laughs) you know (laughs) so like everyone has a different style and i think um it has been cool seeing different 
DMs just to see those types of games be played. Um, so Matt, uh, Matt can definitely give PTSD too. <laughs> just, <laughs> just throw that out there. Yeah. yeah. Well, having said that, uh, what else do you want to talk about? What else do you want to? There's a. I have a few just like kind of one-off things that I wanted to just okay. just parse out here. Um, I mentioned this briefly in the recap, but Patia and her parents and her grandfather seemingly modifying her memory about something. I don't. I mean, okay, I, we are getting a campaign wrap up, so we might actually get this answer if somebody asks us. Which maybe we should ask this. Uh, I don't know if you saw, but they opened up uh, questions that I think it closes either tomorrow or the next day. But we can ask questions for the wrap up. Yeah. Okay. Um, so maybe somebody will ask that there. Um, but I was just wondering, like. <sighs> what is that like did they die because of something the grandfather did like he you know like it seemed like there was something kind of juicy there that he and to my understanding he also made himself forget but that might have just been me reading the context wrong um but it seemed like he modified both her and his own memory saying like it's easier if we forget i'm assuming they had done something that was worthy to be ashamed of and where my mind immediately goes is the ritual of seeding like maybe they tried the matron's ritual and it failed miserably um like we know from like some of the slight comments that people will try it all the time that it never ends well and it's kind of like a joking um condescending like oh yeah another one of those so i kind of wonder if something like that maybe have happened um also knowing the status of the porcos uh and that maybe modify memory was just as amir put it it's just easier this way so I don't know. Yeah, that that could definitely be it. And he also... I, go ahead. I was going to say, I also wondered if Pesha's mom could have been the matron of Ravens. Um, since that has a bit of a neat and, neat and tidy fall in. It Amir's comment, from in my mind, kind of combats that in the sense of like Amir kind of having something to do with them forgetting if it was yeah. matron of ravens i would have seen it more of like you know, like oh yeah i don't really remember or something i don't know um well but, we do know that the matron of ravens was patient's mentor and then was a mentor yeah and then in that moment when that happened marisha said thanks mom but and like she immediately clarified like yeah. i was joking but yeah because travis was like wait what <laughs> yeah but maybe there's more there um but what Amir did say in that moment, uh, when the memory thing was happening, he says, where they failed, you'll succeed. So, I mean, that might just be like a generalized, like they kind of let me down. You won't, but maybe it was like, a, maybe it was the ritual of seeding and they failed and he, you know, wants somebody in their family to succeed or who knows, but just some juiciness there that I, I just to... love the arrogance of the story. Like everyone makes fun of the people who failed and yet everyone is trying to do the same thing. <laughs> Like everyone yeah. is, everyone is doing this thing. I mean, Laren, Laren, that's what the astral laywright is. Laren is trying to, in her own way, yeah. do the ritual of seating and become a God, like try to go to the divine plane or what have you. Um, so I just, I just love the arrogance. The theme of hubris is so palpable. It's so well done, but just the arrogance of like, yeah, check out all these idiots who failed. All right. So when, when are we trying to do this again? Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's just great. The hypocrisy is so great. It really is. And, uh, another thing in the twitter space i thought was funny is that abria was worried that sarah was going to try to kill her and so uh i think she said she was like taking glances at his character sheet or something to try to prepare for that yeah uh but also 
uh, Abria, Marisha, and Lou apparently all got together separately, kind of yeah. similarly to how their three characters were the ones, you know, doing the sleigh right thing. So I just thought that was that was cool, kind of inside baseball as well that they actually, yeah, took the time to do that and kind of plan above board. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um. <clears throat> all right. So moving on from that, the other thing I wanted to talk about uh, was Loquacious. So. We know that he is Bard Warlock. Those are his classes. And then there were a couple clues there at the end that make me think his patron was the Raven Queen. In that first moment where they're all like dying in the explosion, you know, he says his face is changing thousands of times. And like the last one it lands on is the Raven Queen's mask. And then at the end of the episode, um, when him and Laren are like embracing and he asks her to marry her, he's like, I don't have a ring, but he presents her a Raven's feather. Um, Oh, that's a great detail. Yeah. I so, thought it was uh, Elmanor or something. I, I don't know if it can work that way, so to speak, but um, that's a really great insight. I didn't pick up on that. So I don't really have like a a further point to make beyond this. Yeah. Like, but I just think that may be, those are, those are two kind of random pieces of flavor to throw in if they're meaningless. So to me, I think the Raven Queen was perhaps his, his patron. Um, if not literally that at least he maybe served her. Like that was part one of the facets of his character, which I just thought was really interesting. Um, yeah. And I think Brennan even mentioned in the Twitter spaces conversation of like the level of detail we didn't necessarily get in the episode, but like sort of the backstory there. And that'd be a great, like thing that might come up like in a post wrap up discussion. Uh, it might even be a great question for people to ask. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it makes the whole story a lot sweeter as you pick up those little details for sure. Yeah. And um, just what a great, what a, they're all so great. But like Sam, I don't I think it was during the Twitter space. I don't know where else he would have said it. But, you know, they were all talking about their characters, like deep flaws and secrets. And he was like, yeah, Loquacious's secret was just that he still really loved his wife. Yeah. I was like, that was great. Yeah. Oof. Yeah been having yeah uh, we kind of expected them to maybe kind of get back together and i just like how i I think good good stories are ones where you you like we think that good stories have to be like subverting expectations but it doesn't necessarily have to be like we kind of thought this would happen and yet it didn't feel cliche or stereotypical i mean i guess it kind of was in that you know it's not it's not unlike anything we've ever seen but just well acted well done um that should be i think a good um encouragement to all game masters out there in that you know your story and brendan mentioned this actually in the twitter space is like not everyone needs to have like deep dark pasts and like big secrets like you know patient has three big secrets so nidus needs three like yeah being a bit more um you know uh not so forceful on how it has to be i think the same thing applies to you know, oh, it has to be, we have to have big twists. Like maybe it doesn't, maybe it just needs to be a good story that you just execute on. So yeah, I think Loquacious is him and Laren kind of reinforce that. hundred percent, hundred percent. Well, I'm mad it's over. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. I'm excited I get to watch it again tonight though. So <laughs> Me too. Hopefully, um, you know, I, I shouldn't say hopefully, I mean, clearly we're going to keep getting, EXUs. Um, so hopefully they just keep delivering on you know yeah. this high high quality content. Do you 
do you think we get any more stories in the calamity in the age of ruin i guess i think so eventually maybe not next maybe not you know for a while but that's such a ripe i mean it's like 100 100 plus years like that's such a ripe cool setting to to tell a story in so i yeah, think so well, we never got much of a time frame i know a lot of like pulling like small details from different source books had us put it at at least 100 years maybe 150 but brennan said it in episode four and also in the twitter spaces conversation that this calamity lasted for centuries uh, which may be much longer than people even expected um and he also mentioned in the episode that the eruption of dominus covers the world in ash and soot for a hundred years which is a very like meteor hitting the planet yeah, like nuclear holocaust yeah so um there might be even might be even like a much longer um story that we're we've realized so yeah and i mean clearly i mean i don't know the lifespans of bird people but uh we know sarah's alive so it'll be interesting to see kind of what his trajectory is here from this point um not again not that i would expect him to like show up in campaign three but maybe one of his descendants or something yeah. and what's also as cool is that patient sphere is out there which right. we know that not not literally everything but most of everything was lost to like the history and the technological advancements and everything it was all lost to time so that leads me to believe that either the sphere is lost or someone has it but like is safeguarding it like they didn't share that knowledge with the world so it'll be interesting to see if maybe i mean that that's like a juicy juicy it's Chekhov's gun a, almost you know bro, like you just took the word i was gonna say <laughs> it's way too much of a Chekhov's gun to not get brought up again um and i've some i've seen some people refer to it as like maybe it's within the cobalt soul um which i didn't know anything about this but um that seems to line up for me um but i think definitely is out there somewhere maybe hydroga has a museum number two with a <laughs> fake scrying orb so so yeah so hopefully maybe you know i don't think we're gonna get like a direct sequel to this well i mean everyone's dead except for sarah anyway but uh i think we could maybe get another story set during this era and th but then we could also just see some ripple effects from this like maybe we find that orb maybe we see champion of hell xerxes show up or you know yeah. mentioned in some way so i'm it's, excited for that it's interesting that this is kind of the last thing i wanted to say it's interesting that ruidus is never mentioned oh yeah Calamity. oh yeah i was gonna i'm glad it's you said that never mentioned and yet we know that in the lore within modern day exandria there are references um theories around people being ruidus touched like born under the solstice of ruidus um i said that's not correctly phrased but um and they even mentioned how maybe the matron of ravens was born under it kind of ruidus touched interesting that this is never mentioned in calamity which makes me wonder if this is something like you know stories that get made up and then proliferate and it become like presumed history i do wonder if ruidus is somehow tied to the calamity in some way yeah me too um because it may just be that it wasn't mentioned there was no need to mention it you know what i'm saying so maybe it's it's there 
um, and just off screen, if you will, or maybe it didn't exist yet, you know, and the calamity did cause it or something else. I remember I, I think I texted you this, like, what if the primordials, they, she was able to successfully like move them off Exandria, but wasn't able to get them all the way extra planar. And so maybe they're like trapped in Ruidus in space that didn't end up being the case. Um, but I was excited for that possibility for a moment. Uh, but yeah, I'm super interested because I think Brennan at one point, again, I don't remember the exact context, but he was talking to somebody about like, I don't know, but he mentioned the moon singular. And I was like, is that intentional? Like in meaning there is no Ruidus yet? Or was that just, you know, it's a very small detail that would be easy to, you know, flub. Um, yeah, that's just a long-winded way to, to say I'm with you. Like, I wonder, I'm very curious about that. Like... Was Ruidus there? Was it caused by the Calamity? Was it caused by something post-Calamity that just still hasn't, we haven't been, you know, familiar with? Something's going on with it, one way yep. or another. Yep. Well, the bar has been set, Matt Mercer. Let's <laughs> see what you can do. But she's like, I've already done two campaigns. It's awesome. <laughs> All right. Well my kids screaming in the background <laughs> uh exu calamity fam let us know what you thought about it if you loved it if you hated it hopefully you didn't yeah um anything else you want to mention will um for those of you that uh did come over from d20 um like i said i talked with a couple of you about this but not all of you i'm sure i'd love to we'd love to hear your recommendations for where we should start checking that out uh, i think and again i don't know anything here so Correct me if I'm wrong, y'all. But I don't think there's any shared continuity between them. So I think it really doesn't matter where we start. Um, but I think Crown of Candy or something a lot of people have mentioned. But anyway. I heard that one. There was another one that I heard, but I, I just don't have it in front of me. But yeah, I did hear that one. Yeah, so. so hit us with your recommendations. And you D20 people, come check out Campaign 3. I mean, you know, I know Brennan's not in it, which I think that's basically who you guys came over for. But trust me, it's good. You won't regret it. And uh, we got we got recaps on our channel if you just want to catch up quick and start watching live with us. So yeah, we we need to do a recap by the way of episodes one through twenty four. I think um, yeah, what, just is, before it kicks off next week. Is it about to be twenty five? It'll be twenty five. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that'd be a good idea. Because um, it's been off for five weeks. Will yeah. be five weeks. So will be six weeks actually by the time it comes back. So all right, uh, thumbnail. Oh man. Uh, I think maybe Should just tears or something. <laughs> we could do that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm I'm game for whatever. I'm down with just being super sad. <laughs> okay. You know, the episode's very sad, and it's sad that it's over. So, sound good? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, guys, check out our Twitter, at the Pixelists, and don't be a stranger, and uh, catch SGDQ next week. Oh, yeah, Sunday. Yeah. Oh yeah, and we got a, a one shot tonight. I don't know. Are you watching? I won't watch tonight because we're watching episode four of Calamity tonight. Okay. Uh, so. so yeah, we got that to look forward to as well. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll catch you later, guys. Bye, y'all. <laughs>